0: Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. (laughs) And that's how we start our series today on friendship. And I'm gonna be honest, uh, I was formed, my view of friendship in great part was formed from sitcoms in the 2000s. Anybody else watch the crazy sitcoms from nobody else anywhere? Across the campuses, how many of you watched sitcoms growing up? There we go. Thank you very much. And when I look at those relationships, I'm like, that's friendship. Is it? I, I don't know. But we're going to start a conversation in the month of February about friendship. And we started this exchange, actually, on social media this week. I asked a question. I said, think about one of your closest friends and how did you meet them? And we got a bunch of answers. Hundreds of people responded. So thank you. Uh, lots of long-term friends from like all the way back in elementary school. Lots of work friends. You met at work over the years. Lots of sort of the, uh, the people that you've known since childhood. You met on the neighborhood or in the cul-de-sac. But I just picked out a few of my favorites. These are real responses from your peers at church. You might be sitting next to these people. So let me, let me give you one. Uh, this is how this person met their best friend. We went to the gym trying to lose weight and Ended up eating brownies on the treadmill friends for the rest of our life. Come on somebody. That's like that's your friend uh, Here's another one. We met in first grade. My best friend snitched on me I cried and we walked laps together at recess and from there they became best friends I don't know about you snitches got stitches where I came from but hey best friends uh, Here's the beauty of fashion and how fashion can make friends. Uh, We met in preschool. We were convinced we were long-lost sisters because we had the same boots on. And that's all it took. Some of y'all ladies is like, nice dress, nice dress. Are we best friends? Yep. Here's my favorite. This is my guy. And this is, I wish this was my story, although it's not. Here's how this person met their best friend. He saw me chasing a possum out of my backyard with a bat and asked to help. That's my dude right there. Can you imagine that? Like, you're looking out your back window, and you're like, what's he doing? Chasing a possum. And and you go, hey, man, uh, you you mind if I go try to hit a possum with you? Yep, let's go. We're best friends for life. Like, I I don't know how you found friends, or maybe if you're honest, like some of the direct messages we got, which weren't so funny, there's a reality that there is people who would say, "I I don't have the friends I wished I had. Like, there's a loneliness to this whole thing. You know, one of the, the most shared responses that we got, how'd you meet one of your closest friends, was actually a church or small groups. It's a beautiful thing. It's Part of why we exist as a church is not just to show up to a service, but to help create environments by which you can know people. You can meet people. You can find friends that share values. It's why we talk right now, this whole month, you're going to hear us ring the bell. You can text GROUPS to 37748 at any point, and we want to help you get in a group. Because part of friendship is you have to share some things. There's got to be some values that you you share, and why not here? And in the month of February, we're going to have a conversation all about friendship. We've done series about marriage, about parenting. We've done all kinds of relationship series. I have no recollection of us ever doing a series directly about friendship. In fact, I went online this week looking... I don't know of many churches that had a conversation directly about friendship, and it's one of those like missing gaps. Like The church talks a lot about marriage or a lot about parenting, but the very core thing that God created us for, friendship, we don't talk a lot about, and I think I know why. Some of it is there's complexities in teaching friendship because every person is so unique like you, your circumstances, how you're wired, how you meet people, introvert, extrovert, everything's so unique. It's hard to teach directly. Like you you also, you can't force a friendship. Like I can't lock you in a room and you guys come out best friends. Like wouldn't it be great if you could, but there, you can't force it. You only can create a, an environment by which it, it, it might be able to happen. Uh, it, it might be the reason we haven't taught this is because there's this This mixture of scripture and theology mixed with like science and sociology mixed with psychology mixed with ecclesiology in the church. And you're like, it's just so complicated. Let's just talk about marriage. Ephesians talks about it directly. Let's just talk about marriage. It's easier that way. But I think we have to have this conversation because loneliness is in the room you're sitting in right now. I promise you. People can look like they're smiling and life is good, but can I tell you the the stats? In 2020, 61% of U.S. adults experienced serious loneliness. Then we had lockdowns for several years, and the the results from 2023 went up to 77% of Americans experienced loneliness. And you might think lonely means you're alone. You can be lonely in a room full of people. You know that? You can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. We're not talking today and this, this month about getting around people. It's you can be in public, in groups, and still feel like no one knows me. See, part of our heart for this series is that we want to acknowledge this is real, this is here, and God wants to speak about this. Like God has thoughts. On friendship. And I believe this listen, God is gonna help some people this month. Like, I don't know if you come to church because you're like checking a box and you feel like you have to, if you come because men, you love to sing and worship together. I hope you come for all those reasons, but I hope you come because you have a belief and a hope that God's gonna help you this month. I have high belief that God has something for every person. And if you would put some of this into practice, you could wake up 12 months from now. Going, my goodness, look what God's done in my friendships across this year. And we started the conversation in January talking about Jesus's words in the book of Mark, which are the first half of the greatest commandment. And here's what we talked about. Let's put that up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That's about the vertical relationship to God. But the second half of the greatest commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the horizontal relationship. Like It's not enough that you and God are good and you treat people like trash. Can I get an amen, somebody? If you've been in traffic lately, it's not enough that you love the Lord and you treat people like... And it's not enough that you have a relationship with God and you are lonely here. God has more for us. That's the horizontal. There is no commandment greater than these. And over the course of this month, we're going to unpack the second half of that. In fact, I I want to give us a picture of this because... I need, to, I need to help us understand. This is not just a sociological conversation. This is actually a biblical conversation. God is a relational God. He's not isolated unto himself, although he is, but he isn't, but he is, but he isn't. Did this thing just freeze up again? Technology. I'll give you guys 10 seconds. I want you to think about this. I didn't mean that like a threat. Maybe I did. You have 10 seconds fix it or pack it up. I'm just kidding. Um, God's a relational God. You might not have heard this. Maybe you have. The Trinity is God in three persons. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God started creating, and they created. God in three parts created, and then God from relationship Created a relationship. Are we working now? Come on now. Can we give it up for the production team? I did it again. Can we not give it up for those guys? (laughs) Guys, there is a website where you can actually apply to work at 12 stone if you I'm just kidding. Here's what God did: God created Adam in relationship to him. If you go back to the garden, Genesis 1 and 2 is creation. And what happens is Adam Gets put on earth, created by God in relationship to God. And what happens is he walks in perfect relationship with God. And you're like, that's enough, right? We're good. Life is good. It's working. And God says, it's not good that you're alone. Like, don't skip past that. Adam is walking in perfect relationship with God. And God goes, it's not good that you're alone. And he created Eve. Eve. And what happened with Eve is now there's this triangle of relationship. Hold on. Okay, we're working. Let's give it up. Now we can clap. It's working. Thank you. So we have this triangle of relationship. Praise God, it's working. And this relationship is intact. It's beautiful. Perfect relationship, God, Adam, Eve. And then what happens is Satan steps in, and whatever God creates, Satan wants to counterfeit. Whatever God gives as a gift, Satan wants to make a curse. And when he tempted Eve and sin entered the world, it fractured the relationship between God and humanity. And then it complicated the relationship between Adam and Eve. I don't know what is happening. It compl- complicated, the rela- don't look yet, it's a surprise. It complicated the relationship between Adam and Eve and relationships broke down. And that's why relationships are so hard. Anybody, is anyone like, relationships are easy? Raise a hand. You're a liar, put them down. No hands, thank you, it's church. You get struck. Uh, it's, it's hard because God created relationships to be like this, perfect, and then sin into the world and it got so complicated. And now we 're figuring out how do we do relationships. And I want to give us a picture to help, and that's where this comes into play. If you grew up in high school in the '90s like I did, on the wall of every cafeteria was this thing. Anyone know what this is called? The food pyramid. Come on somebody. Ironically, they put this on the wall in cafeterias, and they didn't abide by it because nothing on my tray hit all those things. and so this is the beauty of the food pyramid. It, 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 it creates a balanced approach to your diet that helps you build a healthy life. Like, here's sort of how you should eat so you can build a healthy life. Because what you feed on forms you. And so the food pyramid, the bottom of it was, or was grain and bread, which is like... Uh, you put cheese on bread, I'm a happy man. Anyways, you got got bread, and then you got fruits and vegetables, sort of the next thing you should eat the most of. And then you got dairy, and you got meat, and then the top was sugars and fats and all that kind of stuff. And they'd say, listen, you should eat the most of this, a little bit less, a little bit less, and sparingly was the word they used. And then I had fruit roll-ups and did not use it sparingly. It's beautiful. Here's what's funny. This thing has all been debunked, by the way. If you're a nutritionist, you're like, cut it. This is not good. Do you know what bread metabolizes into in your system? Sugar. Sugar. Like the thing you're supposed to eat the most of turns into the thing you're supposed to eat the least of. But the approach of this thing was like, we want to show you a balanced approach to life, how you eat, because what you feed on forms you. God, would you be with us? Here was my food pyramid. (laughs) When I met my wife 18 years ago in college, I was... Baseline ramen noodles. Praise the Lord. You know why? They were a quarter when I was in college. Four of them for a dollar. Taco Bell. I'm going to leave that alone because the next morning you just have moments of silence for your body. Pizza. Diet Coke. That was my food pyramid in college, and I was way less healthy than I am today. Then I meet my wife, who's an incredibly healthy person, and this was her food pyramid. Water. Water. Before Stanley Cups were even popular, that woman had water wherever she went, and then she ate fish and vegetables and not just milk chocolate, dark chocolate, because it's like somehow healthier for you. That was her food pyramid that she lived, so these two people got together who could not be more opposite. I can tell you this. Since 18 years of marriage, we're in a place now where I am much healthier than I was when I first met her. The concept of the food pyramid it's like a balanced approach to how you consume food so your life is healthy. So I want to introduce another thought that what if there was a friendship pyramid which would give you a balanced approach to friendship that would help you to have a healthy relational life. Because the same is true of food and friends. What you feed on forms you. And what if you should have a crowd of people that you're you know and then a group of friends that you sort of do life with. And then an inner circle of friends that really know you. And what if, like the food pyramid, if you skip fruit and vegetables, you're not going to be as healthy as you would be? What if you, if you skipped any of these groups, you would end up less healthy than God designed you to be? In fact, this is actually modeled by Jesus. That one keeps doing that. So this one was modeled by Jesus He had crowds of people in the hundreds. He did life in crowds of people in the hundreds. And then he had his 12 disciples. And then in the 12 disciples, he had his three. So crowds, 12 disciples, three individuals, Peter, James, and John. And that's how Jesus did life. He modeled this for us in scripture. That Jesus said, listen, I have a way of doing friendship and life that is a balanced approach that will deliver freedom and health and a life that you're actually looking for. And what if the places were broken is because our friendship pyramid is off, like my food pyramid was off in college. And you can live a life that you can wake up and go, I am familiar with a lot of people, but no one knows me. And part of what we want to do in the church is not just do church services on the weekend, but to help create environments by which you can build a friendship circle. It's a beautiful thing. And so what we're going to have a conversation about is that we have what we believe is the the footprint of friendship, that Jesus modeled for us, that we have a chance To model after. And here's the thought. If there was a pyramid of friendship, the higher up the pyramid a friend is, the more I allow their voice to form me. Listen, the higher up the pyramid, the more I allow their voice to form me. And the lower down the pyramid, the less weight their voice has in forming my values and my worth and who I am as a person. And and the reality is when when someone's in my inner circle, when they give me a check, dude, I, I don't know about that. That has gravity. When someone in my inner circle gives me an encouragement, it carries weight. When someone in my inner circle calls me out on something, it weighs different. Listen, when someone in the crowd calls me out, little weight. And part of what broke over the COVID lockdown season is that for many, if not most of us, our friendship pyramid broke. And part of what happens when the basics break is we lose our ability to actually engage in relationships in a way that's meaningful and helpful. And I want to just play it out because sometimes the clearest way to see it is by seeing how it's done wrong. Listen, some of us, our whole pyramid of friendship is all crowd. So no friends, no inner circle, all crowd. So I want to play it out. So when you, when you hit something that's frustrating or weighty or makes you angry, you have no friendships and no inner circle. So what do you do is you start blasting it to the crowd on social media. You got no one to process it with. You just go loud and big because everything you have is the crowd. And equally, when you're looking for advice or trying to process something, you don't have friends or inner circle to process with. You go ask the crowd. And so who gets to speak into your values and what matters the most? Is it the loudest voice in the crowd? Is it the voice that agrees the most with what you already want to do? It's a dangerous place to sit. Equally, what happens when your life and your triangle is all inner circle? No friends, no crowd. It's just all lock it up. Or you try to treat people that way. I call that person the TMI person. Too much information. Because they treat you like your inner circle, even though you don't have that kind of relationship. Like, don't talk to me like you know me. You don't know me like that. How in three minutes did you already share that you have gout, daddy issues, and trouble with your boss? In I don't even know your name, dude. Like, you can't engage new people as inner circle. But some of us, that's what our friendship pyramid looks like, and then equally, if you have no crowd, it's just friends and inner circle equally, if that's the place where you sit and your pyramid is out of balance, like if you, if you don't have a crowd and you're a follower of Jesus, you've lost your evangelism. You've lost your calling because the crowd is where you find your one that you know, but they don't know Jesus yet. By the way, we're going to talk about that in March. So you have no crowd. And then when, when equally, you have no inner circle. It's just friends and crowd. No inner circle means no one truly knows you. I don't know that you're any more dangerous than when no one truly knows you. Isn't that a scary thought? Like, you know a lot of names and faces, but no one really knows you. And I, I, I take the time to go through all that. Because my prayer has been that you find yourself in this conversation. Part of the reason we don't teach on friendship is because everyone's in different places. Some of y'all know hundreds of people. And you're not known by one person. Some of you are known deeply by two or three people, but that's all you got. And if I was honest, for most of us, we all, we all sort of just tend to lump ourselves in the circle of just everyone's sort of a friend. So they know my name. We have some inside jokes. We can watch a game together. I can call you. We can go shopping together. But at the end of the day, I'm not really known by anybody. See, I hope the spirit of God helps you find yourself in the conversation because you have to know how to apply what we're about to talk about. You see, here's the direction we're going for the month of February. There are barriers to friendships that we need to break through. And you'll never find the friends you're looking for or God created you for if we don't break through some things. Let me just give you the roadmap of February, and we're going to jump in. Here's where we're going. Week one, that's today. We're going to talk about hypocrisy and insecurity. Those are barriers to friendship. Then next week, communication and expectation. Most marriages, this is where things get tricky. Then week three, grudges and ego. Can you forgive and let things go? Week four, vulnerability and accountability. How do you enter into an inner circle relationship where you're vulnerable enough to be held accountable? We're going to talk about these things, and I believe God is going to form things at the core of friendships that could change everything. And over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack this whole series through the friendships of King David he's got these incredible relationships that are detailed in Scripture. For time today, I'm not going to go through the life of David. We'll start that next week. But I just want to jump in and be as helpful as I can inside of this series. So here's here's the first barrier in friendship. The hypocrisy barrier is this. If you're taking notes, write it down, take a picture. The hypocrisy barrier is this. I expect something from you that I don't expect from myself. Tell me that won't mess up a relationship. (laughs) Tell me that won't mess up a marriage. Tell me that won't mess up parenting or a family. Tell me that won't mess up a friendship. When I expect you to do something that I would never do myself, like I expect that they would assume the best about my intentions, but I can assume the worst about theirs. Hypocrisy barrier. Why were they not there for me when I needed them? And then when they needed me, I have a really good reason why I couldn't be there for them. Hypocrisy barrier. They should be trustworthy and hold my secrets and be someone I can trust. And then I'm freed up to share their stuff when when it's convenient. You see how hypocrisy is at the core of what's broken in friendships. You might feel like you're alone and you don't have friends. And this might be a barrier that you don't see yet. That you expect them to do things that you'd never expect from yourself. It's a dangerous place to sit. In fact, it takes us back to the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is talking about hypocrisy here. Don't don't love them as they deserve. Love them as you would want to be loved. This is the anti-hypocrisy verse. Treat them like you, you would like to be treated. Serve them like you would like to be served. You see, friendship involves two people. Hopefully, you know this. If not, like, let's start here. This is the birds and the bees of friendship in a non-awkward way. Friendship involves two people, you and someone else. I've been married 18 years, and I've been parenting for 16. Here's what I've learned. You can only control one side of the relationship, and it's not them. It's yourself. I can't control what they do. I can only control what I do. So can I give you advice? Start with you. If something's broken in friendship, if you're trying to rebuild this friendship pyramid, this balanced, beautiful, healthy approach to how you do friendship and relationship, you have to start with yourself because you'll drive yourself crazy trying to change them. See, here's the breakthrough to hypocrisy. Become the friend that you're looking for. You know what the greatest commandment tells you to do? Become the friend that you're looking for. Don't require them to become the friend you're looking for. You become the friend. If you want a friend that's caring, become a person that's caring. If you if you want encouragement from a friend, learn to be an encouraging person. If you want sacrifice from a friend, learn to be sacrificial. If you want to have trust from a friend, learn to be trustworthy. If you want high character from a friend, learn to be a high character person. And here's the here's the the rule of friendship. You tend to attract who you are, not who you want. Have you noticed how negative people flock together? Have you noticed how deceitful people flock together? Have you noticed how critical people flock? You might not have noticed. Have you noticed how encouraging people flock to each other? Have you noticed that people who have like a group of trustworthy friends just seem to grab more people into their circle because you don't attract what you want. You attract what you are. And we have to start with the basics because the basics are where we're broke. Many of us are heartbroken and feel isolated, maybe because you have hypocrisy you don't even see. And you're holding yourself to this standard and them to this standard. And this never works. What the greatest commandment says is treat them like you want to be treated. Love them like you want to be loved. And that's the first breakthrough of friendship. Here's the second barrier. And this one, my goodness, God, I think he wants to help some people. The insecurity barrier is this. I need people to approve and accept me. This is the insecurity barrier to friendship. See, what insecurity does is it makes you look for and demand things from a friendship you were never meant to get from a friendship. It requires you to say, I need something from them versus I'm free to love them. And the insecurity barrier is the voice in your head that says, what do I need to change so they'll accept me? What will they think if I don't dress like this or don't act like that? What What would they think of me? Would they approve if I did this instead of that? Do you think they'd like it if, and we tend to think of that as like a middle school, high school issue. Let me talk to students. Can I just be blunt? The majority of adults in the room, myself included, struggle right here. And you think your parents have graduated beyond it. If you're in middle school, high school, you think you're, you're the adults in the church. Like you're, I'm so beyond, I don't need approval. And then there's this small voice that when you meet someone new, what do they think of me? they think I'm worth anything? Do they want me to talk to them? Don't pretend that these voices don't sit inside of our heads and our hearts and our souls. Will they like me? Will they accept me? And our society has groomed us from an early age to attach our self-worth to the approval and acceptance of people. When you win the game, your coach is proud. When you lose the game, your Coach is disappointed. When you get the A, your mom and dad are happy. When you get the B+, C+, D minus barely pass, your parents are less happy. See, there's this performance thing in all of us where we feel the need to seek approval and acceptance from people. And the lie that our society tells us is that all friendships are predicated on me earning your acceptance. And it turns into like a rat race. And you've probably done it at seasons of your life where you move to a new school and you're like, new school, new me. And I was this person. I was the sort of geeky, smart grade person, like an A plus guy in this school. I moved to a new school. I'm going to be the athletic guy and see if that gets me what I'm looking for. And you change who you are to try to get the approval, the attention, the acceptance of people. I'm telling you, this is part of what's broke. And and when you you feel insecure, it goes usually one of two ways, depending on your personality. See, I'm an extrovert. My wife is an introvert. So we're married to opposites. It's a beautiful thing. She helps me understand things I don't understand. I'm like, just talk to them. She's like, you don't understand. Like If you're an introvert in the room, you don't have to raise your hand for the first time because I love you, and this is a safe place. But if you were an introvert, if you're an introvert, look down quietly. There, see, that feels better, doesn't it? See, so my wife helps me understand because I'm like, this is simple. Just put it out there. Shake a hand. Meet a friend. She's like, it doesn't work that way. Let me, let me tell you what insecurity does to an extrovert. To an extrovert, when you step into a new place, meet a new person, and, and you're insecure and you're extroverted, you feel the need to perform. And my, you probably could guess this, my performance is comedy. Like, I, I like making people laugh. So what I do when I meet someone new and I'm insecure is just make jokes. I just throw things out, and I'm, they're laughing, they accept me, they like it, it's working. And, and we tend to get loud. Extroverts, when you're insecure, it's got to be about you, center of attention, I get loud, I get funny. Introverts, when they feel insecure, they tend to try to hide you're like, this is a lot of people. I don't know anybody. And you end up like behind a lamp thinking like no one can see you, right? And you just try to pull back. Extroverts are, look at me. Do you approve? Introverts are, don't see me. I don't care anymore. I'm done. And, and, and when, you're, when you're young as a kid, when you felt insecure, you had something called a security blanket. Linus from Charlie Brown. I found my security blanket in the basement a couple years ago with holes in it. I smelled it. It was like a hug from my child. I was like, there you are, buddy. It's like a hole. It's, it's run. But I, I, like, when you used to spend the night at like, a grandparent's house or somewhere, not your, and you felt insecure, you brought your blankie with you, right? Because you, you felt secure because it was sort of familiar. And nowadays, we still have security blankets. And they're in our pockets. And can I tell you what one of the most detrimental things, like it kind of goes super practical because I see this play out. This is for both, but certainly introverts. When you get to a place and you feel insecure, you know what you do? Sorry, I'm I'm in the middle of something. And you look down and you're communicating to the room, I'm good. And then you go home and say, I didn't meet anybody tonight. I was at church on Sunday and no one even said hello. What were you doing? Well, I was playing Candy Crush in the lobby, but. Or how, how many of us? Oh, no, I don't know this person. Yes, for sure. Buy, sell, definitely, for sure. Is No one's on the phone. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. We got to make some calls on that big business deal. And then they walk by, you're like, thank goodness they're gone. Because you feel insecure and you go to your security blanket. Telling you the things that are broke sometimes are the simplest things. You'll never meet someone new if your your face is in your phone. And people will never be able to connect with you if you feel like you have to perform all the time. And insecurity starts to tell you, you have to earn their approval. In the life of Jesus, there's a moment that is top three or four most beautiful shaping moments in all of scripture. See, Jesus has lived now for 30-ish years he's about to start his ministry. If you don't know the life of Jesus, born, Merry Christmas, 30 years, sort of obscurity. Then for three years, from 30 to 33, Jesus comes on the scene, starts drawing the crowds, starts preaching the messages, starts healing, doing the things that we associate with Jesus. And he has three years to do it. And in God's kindness, before Jesus stepped onto the scene, There was a moment at his baptism that I believe is the shaping moment for how Jesus was able to live in his ministry for three years. I want to read it together. See, after he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove settling on him. And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Can I tell you what that moment was? It was his father in heaven's stamp of approval over his life. Before he did any ministry, before he healed anybody, before he preached a message, before he did the amazingly cool stuff that he did for the last three years of his life, there was a moment where his heavenly father just whispered, son, I see you. I love you. I am pleased with you. You have my approval. And Jesus did not have to earn what God had freely given. And what that did was it solved something in the life of Jesus that many of us need solved or else we're going to sit behind an insecurity barrier and no one can get in. You are destined to live in the crowds and never have friends or never have inner circle when insecurity reigns in your heart. So let me tell you the breakthrough. The insecurity breakthrough is this. I can serve from approval, not for approval. See, Jesus got the approval of his father in heaven. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And now he's freed up that he doesn't have to earn approval from people. He's already walking in the approval of his father and he's freed up. Can you see the freedom that exists when your father in heaven goes, listen, you have my approval. You're not chasing a hole or a void that that you want people and friendships and the crowd to speak into your life because you have it from your father in heaven. See, when you you need something from someone, you can't serve them. When you already have from your father, you're freed up to serve. You don't chase what God's freely given. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what the gospel says? Your father in heaven sees you the same way he sees his son, Jesus. You know what the gospel is? that Jesus laid his life down. And for those who follow Jesus, we lay our life in Jesus. I take up my cross. I follow you. I believe I receive you forgiven my sins. I am made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus. Now God, your father in heaven sees you just like he sees Jesus. And he would say to you, this is my son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. And there's an approval that solves the broken places in your soul that you don't have to chase that approval in people anymore. And can I be honest? You can smell an insecure person from a mile away. And if you're a whole person, your heart breaks because you go, man, I, I, I know what that feels like to try to dance and sing and make them laugh. Do you like me? Or to hide against the back wall and be like, just don't see me. God's like, listen, you can engage in relationships from approval, not for approval. And listen, when you freely love and serve people, they're drawn to you. Have you noticed that people like to be served? Why do we go out to eat as a family? It's not necessarily because the food's better. It's because we don't have to do the dishes afterwards. Anybody? Anybody? Like you get home, you're fully fed and the kitchen sink is empty. I like to be served. Are the beds that much better in like a five-star hotel than a three? Not really, but what's better the way they serve you. They knock on your door, got some chocolate on the pillow. What? I'm like, Amber, you should, and she's like, don't even say it. So I don't, but I, I like to be served. And when you're freed up, From seeking their approval, you're free to serve them, and people are drawn to people who serve. And I wonder if the places we're most broke are the places where we have insecurity, where we're looking for them to do something in here that only God was designed to do in here. And so the weight you put on a friendship, like you might find yourself, like when you meet someone new, you put such a gravity to them, and they're like, whoa, whoa. We just met, and you're like, "Well, you didn't call me back last night." And I, do you, are you mad at me? Is everything okay? Da, 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 da. I'm exaggerating, but not by much. And people are repelled by that because, whoa, it's a lot of weight to put on someone they weren't designed for it. Part of what's broken in friendship is we're looking for friends to do what only God was designed to do in us. My wife and I had conversation about three, four years ago. And she had begun to believe a lie. And the lie was this, that she was the only one that felt lonely. She would look around and see people and they're circling up and laughing. And she'd go to a new small group here at the church. And she'd be like, they know each other. I don't know anybody. And what do I have to add to this? And they don't, Why would they even care what I have to say? And so we went on a journey and she had a lot of time with God in the journey. And we had conversations. You know what she discovered? Everybody feels lonely. Like there wasn't a single person in the group that when she started to engage and go, I'm just going to, you know what? Who cares? There's nothing that they need to give me. I'm just free to serve. She'd go ask questions. Hey, tell me about your life. Tell me about your marriage. What's going on? And eventually she'd find a place where they're struggling and she'd go, can I pray for you? Yeah, it'd be awesome. Three months later in small group, they're, they're great friends. And she realized I'm not the only one. Listen, if you feel lonely, the lie of Satan is that you're the only one. Like, you're lonely in your loneliness. Like, lonely is bad enough, but lonely in your loneliness is like twice as much bad. (laughs) And you sit there going, I'm the only one. Look around. Everyone's so happy. Everyone knows everybody. And I'm telling you, it's a lie. And equally, for the other side, I experienced this week the insecurity and the desire to perform and it shocked me. Like, God, why do you always make me have to live out the teachings I'm preaching? Like, can't I just talk about it? See, Friday night, I was invited to the Gwinnett Chamber dinner. And it's like over the top. It's like a thousand people. All the business owners, all the local politicians over at the Gas South Arena. And I mean, everyone's dressed to the nines. And I'm like, this is not my scene. Like I don't, I like tennis shoes, and they're wearing shoes that are more expensive than my whole outfit. So I'm I'm driving there and I've been there before, so I know what it's gonna be like. And this insecurity out of nowhere starts climbing up in my chest, and I'm like, all right, what am I gonna say? And I gotta do the prayer at the top, and so how do I, how do I make them like me? And how do I I want people to leave and go, man, that Jason guy's a cool guy. And I'm like, I want people, like who among us doesn't want someone to like them? That's normal. And I I went back to a a a a prep and pep talk that I've given myself as an extrovert dozens to hundreds of times over my life. And I had to talk my way into that moment at the Gwinnett chamber. I had to remind myself, I'm a son of God. And he is pleased with me and he approves of me and he loves me. You're like, well, duh, don't you know that? Yeah, but I needed a reminder. Because I was about to walk into a room and try to perform and earn Approval of people. I had to remind myself, listen, there's nothing that the people in that room can give me that if God doesn't want it for me, that I'll have. And there's nothing that I, I need from those people that God hasn't already given me. And I am now showing up to serve and love, not to get. And I walked into that room and I shook it off. And I, I'm embarrassed that I had to remind myself, but I did. And I got to walk the room being about people, not asking them to be about me. And I've been in that room four or five times. I met more people on Friday night than in any year combined because I didn't require them to be about me. I got to be about them, not because I'm great, but because God approves of me. I don't need the approval of people. I'm freed up to serve. And when you serve, people are drawn to you. And I got to meet and have some beautiful conversations with 12 centers I've never met, people in the community I've never met. It's a beautiful night. See, but the, the journey of building a healthy friendship pyramid, it has to start somewhere. And I just want to just ask the question. So maybe where do you need to become the friend that you want to be? Where is the hypocrisy where you're requiring things of people that you're not living up to? You don't require yourself. And this is going to take some inner thoughts and prayer this week, but that might be a thing for you. And then where do you need to rest in the approval of your Father in heaven so that you're freed up to serve people and not need to get things from people? Relationships are built from the first relationship, which is the one with your Father in heaven. And then everything else froze, flows freely. And here's, here's what's interesting. I want to go really obvious here. Please work. There we go. This is how it works at church. The crowd is Sunday service. Welcome. 12 Stone Home, it's the living room. It's the groups of people, the hundreds, the thousands. But we have groups and that's where the friends are that's where you meet the friends and then over time you're able to form your inner circle i want to just give you the disclaimer that's like the little small print at the bottom the church cannot give you inner circle there's a supernatural sovereign bits of time and god's hand involved in the inner circle What we can do is create environments in groups where you can meet your inner circle and build it. So you can't come to us and say, you, you said inner circle, no one's given me that. We can't, but we can give you environments by which you can meet from the crowds on the weekends to the, to the, the friends in group. So that over time you find your inner circle, which are the people that are the ride or dies, the people that will call you up and call you out. The people that will have your back when stuff hits the fan. This is how it works at church. And the invitation in this season is to jump into a group. How do you build your friendship pyramid? You jump into a group. And in case you fell asleep at the beginning, I'll say it again. Would you text groups to 37748? The whole friendship pyramid has to start with one decision. You don't magically go from crowds to friends to inner circle. You don't magically build the friendships you were designed for. Just you bump into them. You build them. And the decision to get into a group is as consequential as any decision you'll ever make. And the invitation for today and next week, get into a group. Let's just be blunt. You struggle with insecurity. You need to jump into a freedom group. You're shackled to your insecurity. We want to help you find freedom from it. You don't know anybody socially. Get into a guy's group, a girl's group, a couple's group. We want to help you with that. It's the beauty of the church.